Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight, you're listening to episode 161. It is going to be one of our return slot episodes where we do a deep dive on a particular movie. Uh, and this week, in celebration of October, we are covering 1982's Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper, um, officially, and written by Steven Spielberg, um, Michael Grace, and Mark Victor. It has an 87% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 79% from audiences. Uh, the stars of this are Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams as the Freeling parents, Steve and Diane. Heather O'Rourke, Dominic Dunn, and Oliver Robbins as Carol Ann, Dana, and Robbie Freeling, the children, and then the uh, paranormal psychologist, Dr. Lesh, um, is Beatrice Strait, and then uh, the incomparable Zelda Rubinstein plays Tangina, the psychic in the movie. Um, <clears throat> so, Frank, uh, obviously, I just, uh, you know, I guess throw a little shade maybe at Toby Hooper right in the very beginning here, but um, uh, this has like a long, complex kind of like argumentative history behind it about who directed this movie and who directed what scenes and who had full creative control and stuff like that. Um, I know we've talked a little bit offline, like you think that you can pretty easily tell the who did what at what times. Yeah, I mean, Hooper and Spielberg have both said that I guess that it's generally the consensus is that Hooper storyboarded about 50% of the movie and Spielberg storyboarded about 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, and while Spielberg, Spielberg was like a consult, like creative consultant in I guess the loosest sense of the term, um, Hooper was responsible for directing like behind the camera most of this movie, even though Spielberg was on set. Um, yes, yeah, what it was, Spielberg was on set all but like three days, basically. Um he um he wanted to direct this movie uh his contract with et which right. he was filming at the time didn't allow that so he was on set except for three days when he went on vacation with lucas and um definitely when question he says that when questions were asked um hooper wouldn't really have firm answers and he would jump in and answer those questions and make changes and stuff like that often um yeah and the actors are kind of split on it like whether he who directed them um rubenstein is the most critical of hooper saying that like he was barely there kind of in casting she believed um that he had a drug problem on the set and she said that he didn't really uh take a very active role in the direction the six days she was on set at least um some of the other actors say that hooper was firmly there and was always the one behind the camera yelling action and cut etc um so but yeah uh it's and, and it became a kerfluffle kind of like you know like at the time because spielberg made a comment in the media and ended up kind of having to apologize like you know for it like uh the the director's guild did an investigation they didn't see any reason to co-credit um spielberg whatsoever as a director um but um so yeah but it's one of these things that's still debated to this day so i'm really interested in seeing like you with your knowledge of both hooper um and spielberg like you know which ones you think you know what what parts you think are are which ones i'm really interested to hear you i mean i feel like when you're watching this movie there's scenes not that this i would never call i wouldn't categorize it as disjointed but like there's definitely scenes that have a very 
Close Encounters vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the way, number one, the way this the score is used in this movie is very Spielberg esque, <clears throat> in the sense that it's um, <clears throat> I don't know what to call it, like that fucking like numinous like swelling of like I don't know like chimes and strings and shit to kind of like evoke um like a sense of wonder or whatever like even in the middle of the mm-hmm. horror that there's still this idea of sure you you definitely get that like uh to jump ahead too much but like when uh diane's getting ready to go in after carol ann yeah. you get that sense of wonder um with that score swelling in the background and stuff and yeah. honestly even during the whole part with the paranormal investigators um in the house before the rubenstein character mm-hmm. is introduced um tangina um there's a lot of scenes where it's people like and the, this is one of my one of my complaints with close encounters but people looking in awe at something mm-hmm. where it's just like lights above their head like illuminating down or somebody like staring and wonder at something and i feel like that's really spielbergian in that sense yeah absolutely and then there's there's scenes um when the guy the one investigator um with the the infamous scene with the stake and the maggots mm-hmm. um when he goes into the um laundry room and is kind of like pulling his face apart mm-hmm. um as he's like rotting away like that's very much like toby hooper there that's doing that mm-hmm. um the scene towards the end of the movie and not to like skip around too much when she falls into the uh the pool that's under construction Mm-hmm. and the corpses are like rising up out of the water and falling out of the um out of the coffins and stuff that's very much toby hooper directing that scene because you can feel like echoes of texas chainsaw there and the way that he does close-ups on faces and reactions and mm-hmm. pulls like the grotesqueness of the horror at you mm-hmm. um i also think that a lot of the times with joe beth williams especially in the way that she's dressed towards the end of the movie because she's wearing you know, a football jersey and panties, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very much Toby Hooper. Um, mm-hmm. I think he, not whatever, like me tooing Toby Hooper here, but I think that he finds that having women wearing like tighter clothing or more revealing clothing adds an element to the your feeling of like risk for the person because they're so vulnerable in like, yes. the state of like. You know, it's not like sexualized at all, but it's like here's a woman that was just getting ready for bed, yeah, and now like is basically having to save her family and yeah, I I can't help anymore, but think about scenes like that with women, um, like in terms of like is this appropriate or not, like in hindsight now, and um, I thought about it a lot. I I came away, yeah, I don't think it's sexualized necessarily at all. Um, and I I, I kind of have that scene actually broken down in case we talked about that, but um, I don't want to talk about it now. But it's like, yeah, I don't I don't see any like kind of like uh, maliciousness there. Like right. you said, it's um, uh, it's it's much more about like you know a nighttime routine and putting somebody in risk and being vulnerable much more. Yeah, it just makes more sense because she was getting ready for bed. Sure. Um, yeah. I've never heard anything about toby hooper being inappropriate or anything on set so i mean he sounded like he was an asshole at times Mm -hmm. um so this is gonna feel scattershot the way we're talking about this but i was thinking about what you said you know in terms of the different reactions from cast members and stuff and i was thinking earlier today how we were going to talk about this movie and i was wondering 
is this sort of almost like David Lynch directing Dune? You know what I mean? Like here mm. you've got this guy who's done two, three small movies at this point. Um, one of which, you know, one of the greatest, like in my opinion, independent films of all time in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And now is given not only this huge budget, but these mainstream recognizable actors and is working with at the time one of the hottest directors you know in hollywood in terms of like his cachet yeah in spielberg and how do you behave in that situation like if spielberg stays away from the set do you have a different i mean obviously it's a different movie but does hooper come across as having more control because he doesn't have the crutch of steven spielberg to fall back on yeah yeah and Again, I think there's. I wish I would have written down more when I watched is it. it. Well, here's the thing: is is it a different movie? Is it is it as an effective as a movie? Because I think some of the Spielberg touches really helped this movie along at times too. Yeah, so I kind of disagree with that. I think, like, I think the Spielberg stuff is this the things that I found to be annoying watching it this time. And I haven't seen, I haven't watched Poltergeist in. 10 or 11 years maybe I, I think frankie and i watched it when he was maybe 10 or 11 so it's, okay. it's been about 10 years i think since mm-hmm. the last time i saw this movie in its entirety and i've seen poltergeist 2 more recently than this um but this is a movie i've seen dozens of times sure. from when i was a kid and i i saw this at a really young age like five or six years old um up through my mm-hmm. you know childhood and teenage years and into my adult and i own it on dvd so I've watched it a couple of times through that um pre-streaming access but um like the spielberg stuff so that this when, when i look at it this is what i consider to be the spielberg parts because i think that if you i don't know how familiar you were with stuff like um like amazing stories and the, the shit that they did in like the 80s yeah i'm familiar with it so you've got a scene like where nelson and his boss are standing up on top of the hill next to the graveyard looking down over uh you know the development that you know waste of Verde, yeah yeah uh so that is very spielbergian the way that that's filmed both yes. with the way the sky is and the way that the guys are framed against like the backdrop of these graves looking down and all, all that stuff feels like spielberg's touch mm-hmm. and then the more close up close and personal horror aspects of it um the carol ann talking to the tv the way that uh even like things like the way the clown scene is filmed, the way mm-hmm. that um, all the stuff in the yard, like when it's like raining, all that stuff is filmed. That's very much in line with the way that Hooper's stuff feels, both in Texas Chainsaw and stuff like Funhouse and Eaten Alive. So I, I think that, and I think that also comes down to what scenes are really heavily reliant on special effects and what scenes are more reliant on a practical effect or just the atmosphere and the lighting and the framing of of a shot to build a feeling of like tension you know or Mm -hmm. horror in the Mm -hmm. viewer and so for instance there's the scene where the ghost demon thing comes out of the closet when um uh what's her name one is trying to like go into their room right so there's this big like monster thing that's very much spielberg like doing that Mm -hmm. and honestly like in 2022 and i'm very understanding of you know the limitations of special effects especially in like the late 70s early 80s but it feels like really cheesy and it also feels very spielbergian 
the friggin' tunnel of cotton candy at the end of the movie very spielbergian the way that that's shot you know i mean it feels like something out of you're talking about the 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 hallway sequence? yeah no 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 not oh. when the closet's open and she's trying to oh she's oh yes sucked yeah. in yeah and you can see like i always it always looks like cotton candy to right me. yeah okay. this big cotton candy like okay. gullet or whatever okay that feels very much like Spielberg to me. I mean, mm-hmm. it looks like something that you might see in an Indiana Jones movie or sure, something. Sure, I mean, well, um, right. And they, and he did this, his, his company did the special effects for it. So, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. But then it, there's small scenes. Like, there's a scene early on where um, uh, Joe Beth Williams is standing in the kitchen and she's having a conversation with the daughter and the construction workers are outside Um like talking to her through the window mm-hmm. all the way that that's framed and filmed it like to me that feels like toby hooper's eye is like seeing those things because <clears throat> it's just casual and it's I, I don't i don't know how to explain like when i watch it how i think that okay that looks like because they're very different directors and mm-hmm. you know spielberg is very much Again, he's very much in love with the idea of mystery and wonder. And even in the midst of this horror, there still is the idea that she still is intrigued and she wants to know and she wants to learn. And even though they're trying to get her daughter back, they still have this feeling of awe at the things mm-hmm. that are happening around them. Yeah. But there's also scenes where they're completely terrified, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's and it goes back and forth yeah and right and that's the thing is i think like when you're looking at the scenes that are filmed from a truly horrific standpoint i feel like that's hooper doing that Mm -hmm. and when you look at scenes and i did my head i call them the close encounter scenes (laughs) um because i know that originally like he had wanted to do a sequel to close encounters right and that was was this that's what the the, the genesis of this came Mm -hmm. from was that idea yep um the the tornado scene right terrible Mm -hmm. fucking scene in this movie like some of the worst i think like special effects in any movie that i love Mm -hmm. otherwise very spielbergian in the way that it's filmed and it doesn't even like really i don't know i I don't want to shit on steven spielberg but i think that there's definitely like some dissonance between like this movie from scene to scene and i think that when it's when it's that more upbeat lighthearted comedic tone um i think a lot of the stuff where it's focused on uh craig t nelson mm-hmm. where he's kind of like a goofball about things or he's making faces in the background or um i i think that stuff is very much from spielberg kind of and then when they're being like terrorized and it's horrific i think that stuff is more the toby hooper stuff mm. okay um yeah i think i'm and we've had this conversation with close encounter when we talked about it but um yeah i think i'm much more open to a lot of the spielberg stuff than you are um i i think i i i think i enjoy a lot of times that sense of wonder and stuff that he um that he interjects into his movies that sense of all i think there's a time and a place you know and you look at something like raiders right raiders or temple of doom or even i don't know there's let me think some other spielberg movies i actually like 
Jaws. See, but Jaws is so gritty in the way that it's filmed. And I think that it's, I don't know what it is when he gets older, like as they age. And it's the same with Lucas too, in a lot of ways that they start to smooth the edges on things, Mm -hmm. you know, where they don't want to make it as rough. I mean, Jaws is a pretty, it's a very tense movie. And there's a lot of really terrifying scenes in Jaws. And while there's moments that you, that make you laugh, you know, and especially the interaction between like Dreyfus and, um, what's his name? Quentin, um, Roy Schneider or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's where the humanity comes from. And so you had talked before we got on about wanting to have this conversation, but I'll just bring it up now is like where Spielberg shines is injecting humanity into his characters. You know, the mm-hmm. way he writes people, the way that he, will kind of allow a scene to go on maybe a little longer than it feels like it should just to kind of get a human element to it Mm -hmm. um and i think that he does a great job there i think it's one of the best parts of close encounters honestly is the way that he humanizes especially um dreyfus um i think it's probably the reason why indiana jones is you know the icon that it is today is because of allowing Harrison Ford to be you know a human being in that role like he's not just like an action hero or whatever I mean really kind of sets the tone for like what we view as a real like action hero is somebody that's relatable and human and Mm -hmm. fallible and you know can bleed and get cut and whatever you know it's not like I don't know Roy Rogers or whatever from the serials of the 40s like they're they're you know they're people they have flaws and vices and right they make mistakes and i think you know that's why these characters are so likable in this movie because i genuinely think that that whole family you know especially um williams and uh what's his name nelson are like super likable and super relatable and almost like lovable in their interactions with each other yeah um i yeah i i think this movie maybe more than a lot of other horror movies to me sets up the family and the characters and i like and we've talked about this a lot when we talk about horror movies and like my disdain for creating unlikable characters in a horror movie like it never makes any sense to me if you create an unlikable character and they're threatened why should i feel anything that this unlikable character is being threatened not to say that it can't work sometimes it has but like ultimately i never understand it so i one of the things i really like about this movie is the opening and i love the opening sequence i'm positive that opening sequence when it starts with the national anthem late at night nelson's passed out on the recliner um you know steve steven freeling um is passed out on the recliner diane's in bed the kids are in bed the dog is running around from room to room and you're following it as it's like looking for food and trying to steal food that people have like left out um before Ann wakes up and goes down into the living room with the uh fuzz on the television that feels all very spielberg to me um 
like that entire thing of moving with the dog and moving the camera and like having this kind of whimsiness to the entire thing um that all feels very spielberg to me um yeah that's that specific sequence um and and it and it creates this idea immediately and i think it also creates this like very very momentary bit of mystery which i like which is like it starts with the national anthem and it's like if you don't know anything about it going in it's like it starts with the national anthem like what is this movie um and then it's like oh here's a family like a traditional kind of middle class family and like you know what's going on and then she goes downstairs and she's talking to television it's like is this like a psychological thriller is this a drama like what is this it's like you, you're not even sure really if you don't if you don't know what you're walking into what it is when it's um being set up there and I like that kind of like what's going on here because like if you don't know what's going on, you can sympathize with the with the family who's like what the hell's going on here, like that she's like talking this television. Um, and then they from there, I really like the idea that they just spend time with the characters. You see them watching the the, the guys watching the football game, like you know, and you see like you know that. You, you you live with this family and you see their fears like the mom with the pool and the boy with the clowns and you see their life experiences as Carol Ann deals with death for kind of the first time in terms of you know the, her her bird dying you know you see their connectedness through like the parents smoking weed late at night after a long day like you know away from the kids and having fun and talking about you know, funny things, you know, until Diane starts worrying about the pool and stuff like that. You see the kids arguing at the kitchen table, um, you know, over dumb stuff. And I think like by doing all that and spending like that first really like 20, you know, 20, maybe three minutes or whatever it is, like, um, I think it shows... It, it makes you connect to the characters. It makes them likable. But I also think it shows a lot of damn confidence in whoever the hell ended up, like, you know, directing or creating this movie to spend that time with those people um, in order to make them real and tangible so that when the shit actually starts going down and everything gets real surreal, um, you care. And, oh. and, I, and I think it's a really yeah. effective opening. It is. And I would say that, <clears throat> how to say this? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be a dick. Like, right? But I mean, that's the way that like movies work. You know, I mean, you have to. He's not making. They're not making like a low budget slasher or some like, you know, B grade or Z grade horror movie. They're making a legit feature film. You know, that's meant to draw in whatever audiences like make people that wouldn't normally watch horror movies interested in watching this movie mm-hmm. and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that that's just good storytelling that's it how is. you that's how you build <clears throat> you know characters that's how you build tension and and part of it too is that and i don't know how much i don't know how much this has to do with spielberg's influence in the script and the direction maybe but that's what's it's it's the same setup from close encounters right mm-hmm. it's that you introduce characters and then you introduce a small portion of the thing 
that's going to be like the driving action for those characters which is in this case the paranormal activity so you know it's carol ann talking to the tv then it's the stuff moving on its own then you know it's almost a game like where they're you know she doesn't look at it that way where they're like taunting these dark forces by Mm -hmm. making the chairs move and making them slide across the floor and whatever right um and then the escalation like ramps up incredibly because then carol ann is taken and then you know i mean there's just a lot of things in it where to your point this stuff doesn't work if you don't care about the freelings right like if you have no concern and they've humanized everybody because even the guy that they don't make anybody a villain like there's no cookie cutter villain in this movie and it's one of the reasons why poltergeist 2 is in a lot of ways i mean i like that movie but it still is like an inferior um an inferior sequel yes because they all of a sudden instead of just having it be a force beyond your comprehension which is what it is in in poltergeist Mm -hmm. it's now oh well this guy was a cult leader of a suicide cult and it's his ghost basically that's like haunting carol ann yeah and they have to ground it in some thing that you can root against but even the closest thing there is to a a heel or a villain in this movie is um craig t nelson's boss Mm-hmm. and he doesn't even know that he you know i mean he's like look you know we we moved these graves but we moved them and we told them and they can go visit their relatives there and it's not like we're you know he doesn't see anything wrong with it but he's still not a villain he's just well you know, i mean capitalist he just moved well you find out he just moved the headstones right. um you know and and not the bodies i mean so um they're still like you know it's kind of a scummy capitalist um by by not respecting the the bodies of those people what realizes uh, his the error of his ways i think <laughs> at the end yeah, of that. I th- yeah i think so i think he looks pretty horrified so, right when yeah. he after he watches a house get yeah. sucked into a vortex and from a writing standpoint that's definitely spielberg from a, just a writing standpoint because it's the same thing in jaws like the real estate developers are kind of the heels in it so um i mean i i when i was watching this movie i really tried to think again i was trying to identify personally what which scenes I think were influenced by which person. Mm-hmm. And then I asked myself, like, do I really care? You know, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I still think that it's a really effective movie. Yeah. Um, I just definitely feel like there's things in it that haven't held up as well over the, I mean, it's a 40 year old movie. So whatever there's going to yeah. be, but I think if you watch star Wars today, for instance, which is, you know, grounded in special effects, like that's the main draw of, I guess, like, especially when you're young, I think those special effects still hold up. I think when you watch... Mostly, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, for being like, you know, 45, 46 years yeah. old, whatever. Sure. When you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. you know, even the stuff at the end, which is very similar to Poltergeist in terms yeah. of the, the way the, coming out of the, the closet ghosts, and Yeah. Right. And the way they come out of the Ark and mm-hmm. Tote's face melting and all that stuff. Yep. I think that still holds up really well. And I think there's some special effects in this movie that are just kind of goofy, you know, and it sort of, and I feel like that's the Spielberg part is just trying to like put too many special effects instead of just letting it kind of, it has, you know, cause again, like to your point, it's an amazing opening where you build these characters and you 
build some affection and some you know concern for this family you don't need to have so many special effects in it like it's effective just to know the bad things are happening to them and i think it's kind of overdone at points i guess yeah i I, yeah no i i take your point i think i just kind of almost like forgive some of that stuff even though like i definitely think some of it looks shitty or like isn't needed maybe um i think i forgive it just because i i'm so invested in kind of like more the emotional trauma that is going on and like how that's playing out in some ways that um i'll i'll I, I probably give it a pass almost like sure so let's let's compare it to texas chainsaw then because that's hooper's best film right mm-hmm. so texas chainsaw has very similar build early on where you're introduced to the group of people yeah and it's a different dynamic because you know but you still like aside from franklin being annoying there's you know they're not terrible people they're just right. normal normal 20 somethings yeah and then hooper shows so much restraint in like building up to what's ultimately like whatever the crescendo of that movie where um she's sally or whatever is trapped in the house right like when everything's built to that and she's at the dinner table and then escapes like that's like whatever the climax of that movie so there's a lot of parts in this movie where they do show restraint you know where Mm -hmm. and i think where they do a good job of like building that tension but then and this is where i think the spielberg influences they got to over just overdo the special effects where you didn't necessarily need to have like as much can you give me an example of what you mean just so i we wish can i could clarify it there's stuff there's some stuff when they're going in to get her out of the negative zone or whatever mm-hmm. um that i think you didn't any any time that they have like a massive amount of special effects so the ghost demon dog thing yeah like coming out of the closet it's too much you didn't need to do that mm-hmm. the tornado the way that they film it you know i mean yeah. they did a better job in friggin whatever wizard of oz like 50 years before <laughs> this it just looks like shit you know it's like you're just doing too much and it didn't need it you didn't even need to have a tornado like there's right. no reason to have that happen it could just be like a windstorm and you could do mm-hmm. it where it still is effective right i think that um as much as it's really as much as i think it's a super effective scene i think that's a little too much with the um the stake and the him pulling his face off like maybe yeah. just like 10 15 seconds more than it needed to be mm-hmm. um I agree. Those are things that I don't necessarily like care for. Like when I'm watching it is that whole sequence with the steak and the whole sequence with him and his face and stuff like that. Like, I don't even know if I really care for it conceptually. It feels like it's, it feels like it's inserted into the movie to me for not much reason. It's just an extra scene to gross you out. And listen, when I was a little kid, that shit freaked me out more than almost anything else in the movie, especially Mm. the maggots on the food. Like I'm, yeah. I, it bothers me when I watch fucking Lost Boys. Like, when he's... <laughs> right. They're maggots, Michael, yeah. and then... Ah. Right. So, I think that... I think the beauty of this movie, and it's like, it's really hard. It It's really difficult for movies to capture this, but when they do, it's super effective. So, it's like, the thing that we thought was benign is actually much worse than we thought. Or... Mm-hmm. 
you know, the thing that we thought we've overcome by doing the right thing has now come back to haunt us and is much worse than we thought it was, you know? Mm -hmm. So they think that they've solved everything when they get Carol Ann back and, you know, everything's settled down and they're going to move and whatever. And then all of a sudden it's just, you know, shit like explodes on them basically. So it's very similar to the ending of the haunting of hell house. Um, Mm -hmm or Hell House, I guess. Uh, the ending of The Ring is another movie that does mm-hmm. it pretty well. <clears throat> you know, where you feel like everything's okay, and then they kind of, um, like, turn the tables on you. And I think it's effective here. I just think that... I don't know. Look, I loved this movie when I was young, and I still really enjoyed watching this movie today. Or not today, I watched it, like, two days ago. But I really enjoyed watching this movie when I watched it again um i don't know i just i don't know i i feel like it's spielberg trying to do too much and i think it's him thinking that he had to that they couldn't sell a toned down slow build creeping horror style movie that it had to have things that appeal to kids and Mm. you know that was visually stunning and was you know yeah, I mean, some of their more practical things that they do, um, such as the sequence with the chairs, um, before before it becomes true horror, but when it's, like, just kind of, like, mysterious, um, still, like, that mysterious horror that's going on. Like, I love the sequence um, with when uh, Diane, like, walks away and the camera follows her right. and she comes back and the chairs are stacked. Like, th- that kind of shit's really cool. And, I mean, all they did there was just basically, like like they had them like you know like on wheels and pulled pulled out like the old stuff and then pulled in the other stuff in the interim of her moving and um it's a it's a really cool sequence you know um and i think i i think that's a very effective and i think there's a lot of creepiness to that scene and i actually think it's heightened by the fact that she's so excited about the idea of Mm -hmm. I mean, I maybe because you know like what's coming and you know that it's not going to end well, but it still is like it feels. It actually accomplishes something that most horror movies I think fail to accomplish, which is why is that person going into that dark house or why does that person go check the noise in the basement? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in this case, there's such a sense of wonder in her that it's it's filmed well enough where it's creepy because you're seeing like whatever like the poltergeists are moving these things around or whatever Mm -hmm. but you still kind of share her sense of i don't know what the word i'm looking for is like interest or you know curiosity and excitement Mm -hmm. and it's like why are you tempting these dark forces you idiot but she doesn't it doesn't feel like unearned because she's a free spirit and Mm -hmm. You know, she's trying to understand and appreciate like this thing that's in her house. So yeah. Um, so what 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 aspects of this do you like? I like the, I like the story. I like the performances. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things to appreciate in the direction. Um, I think that it has. I think it sets the standard for the PG thirteen horror, which mm-hmm. is building tension more on characterization and like a slow build you know to 
they're kind of, kind of like showing you something and they like kind of pulling the rug out from under you. Um, I mean, my quibbles with it are very small. And when I say that there's small things that bother me, they don't really bother me. Like I wasn't sitting there like, oh my God, I hate this fucking movie. I was just thinking, man, like maybe tone down on the special effects here. Or maybe if you would have done just a little bit less, um, it could have been even better. But mm-hmm. I think, I think Craig T. Nelson and um, Williams are fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, what's her name? Um, Heather O'Rourke, uh, really great job as Carol Ann. Um, I actually like The Sun a lot, um, hmm. Oliver oh, Robbins, yeah. because he's. So there's another thing that I think is Hooper esque. There's a scene where. Oh, fuck. It's when Carol Ann gets taken when he's pulled out the window into the tree, right? Mm-hmm. Or no, you know what it is? It's it's actually, I think, maybe the most effective non-horror horror scene in the movie when he hears Carol Ann talking out of the TV and freaks the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And that kid like looks like he's having like a mental breakdown. Yes. Yeah. And it is so effectively filmed that like you feel the terror that that kid feels Mm -hmm. and no one's listening to him and and that makes it even worse where he's like she's in the tv Uh um his faces and everything it's 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 a really brilliant performance for a child actor Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of times where the truest horror in that movie is his reactions to things because carol ann can hear them and can see them and is connected to them because they want her like they want to lull her into the sense of you know come to us come be with us or whatever man they don't you know they don't want robbie like they're just right. like they're just scaring the fuck out of robbie and they're using mm-hmm. him and his terror as like a red herring to draw the parents away so they can take yes. their land yep and he has like you know he gets attacked by a tree mm-hmm. he has the clown attack him um he's constantly in peril and Mm -hmm. seeing these awful things and he's really like the central character um whatever you call like the the proxy for the audience in a lot of ways is him Mm -hmm. because he's the one that the worst things are happening to for the most part so yeah yeah i I love that performance um again i think it's really well filmed it definitely has It has the right combination of like a Hollywood sheen to it while still feeling very grounded in like the gritty reality or not reality, but the gritty universe that like horror tends to be set in. And I think that's there's other movies from this era that are similar in a lot of ways, like um, The Fog is another movie that does a good job of kind of combining those two things. Mm -hmm. Um, (sighs) Gremlins. Yeah, Gremlins. Gremlins is perfect. The mm-hmm. perfect example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like yeah, it just it, it really hits that perfect balance where it feels like a like an important big budget movie while mm-hmm. still being small enough where it feels intimate to you as you watch it. So yeah, yeah, and I, I think that intimacy. Um, it, you're right. It's a perfect combination because it feels like it's a. <laughs> God, I don't want to say real movie, but it like you know, it feels like it's a mainstream movie, like right. horror movie, like has like you said that sheen. But like the intimacy of that household is something that is um, uh, 
I think is often hard to capture. And I think they do a really good job of it by like, you know, understanding the layout of that house, having the characters gathered together. Um, so I wanted to kind of like walk through uh, some specific scenes that like, I really like a lot. And um, you talked about the family and, and the actors there. Uh, I really like first uh, Beatrice Strait that plays Dr. Lesh, the parapsychologist. Yeah, she's really good. I think she's amazing in this. I love her so much. I love that character um, of this woman who has been spending her whole life, it seems like, you know, as she, I think she says at one point, like following this hobby or whatever, um, and hasn't really got a lot out of it um, in terms of like finding paranormal stuff. And encounters this thing that is way out of control and she's way out of her depth and i love like how moved she is when they come to the house i love how moved she is by watching these parents and this family deal with the idea that their daughter is trapped in the damn television or trapped in the house in some way that is unseen um she becomes emotional like i like like there's that it's it's almost funny in this like awful way. There's the scene where it's like they're talking to Carol Ann and then she like, you know, somebody comes and she disappears and then Diane feels Carol Ann move through her. Yeah. And it's like, it's this highly like emotional scene, like, you know, where it's like she moved through my soul and it's like this poor damn family. Um, And it's like, and here's just Dr. Lesh like, in wonder and horror and like it's just like what is this what is this poor woman got herself into and it's like there's almost a there's almost a comedy element with the way that it's filmed just a little bit like where it's like you just watch this deeply intimate emotional scene like um and then you realize she's there watching it and she doesn't know what the hell to do and then you get the quiet scene after that where well after they all get scared and horrified um you know uh but that when everybody's like trying to sleep but can't sleep but people are all whispering and i love the whispering scene and the idea that dr lesh and diane like she pulls out her flask the doctor and and they start like you know drinking out of the flask together and dr lesh let me let let me piggyback off what you're Mm -hmm. saying about the scene right yeah and this is what makes this movie so good and what a lot of other movies fail where they fail. So most horror movies would have taken that time. So most horror movies would have made Craig T. Nelson almost a villain in this movie until the end. They would have made him not spiritual or not a believer or, and he, they play him like that sometimes, but yeah. he's never antagonistic towards his wife or his kids he just doesn't understand in the same way that she does, or he doesn't feel the same thing she do. She, she does. She do. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a little more skeptical, but he's never a dick. Right. Especially Dr. Dr. Lesh and her team. But right. Only, only to the idea of Tangina. Right. Like, yeah. and even then only for uh, 10 minutes until sure. she proves him wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yep. it's, yep. he's a skeptic that needs to be shown reality. And when he's right. shown it, then he's a like he can accept it. So I think it's I think it's brilliant the way they film that scene and allow it to play out and they don't have him interrupt or shit on what anybody's saying or you know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. just let it mm-hmm. happen. And so many horror movies make 
I think the big mistake of making one of the protagonists a partial antagonist mm-hmm. just to, I don't know, build tension, like extra tension between the families or kind of show. Whew, I don't even know how to say it, but it's like they played those characters so perfectly where you can have that emotional moment between uh what's her name the doctor and uh williams and it's it's sweet and it's like a like a calm or eye of the hurricane moment if you want to call it that um and it really just it's not something that needs to happen in the movie it's not something that necessarily is a big scene it's just an important scene to continue to build that feeling of they're kind of like your family you know like you mm-hmm. care about them and you want them to come through this and and i think so I, I i think that a scene like that is definitely a spielberg thing because i think it's that that sense of wonderment that he always has in his movies mm-hmm. where it's like there's just something bigger than us and i don't know so yeah i agree that's yeah uh, yeah i think it's yeah I, I just really like that scene a lot like um like that whole sequence like, except for a couple small scenes like with the um and yeah, you're you're right poor robbie like when the one the one um investigator researcher comes out like you know with the big um you know uh, where he's been bit or whatever and like poor robbie's like just there you've been bit and oh and there's that horrible sequence during the quiet scene the eye of the storm scene as you called it like where Robbie starts asking, like, if he dies, can he see Carol Ann? Like, right. I mean, it, it's awful, tra- traumatic. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, to, to, to put that kind of language in, in the child's mouth at that point. Um, yeah, he really gets run through the ringer. I, I, I guess I didn't really think about it as much, but yeah, he, Robbie gets, you know. Well, and I, I, I think a lot of that is um, Hooper, you know, mm-hmm. where you take an innocent character and you just yeah basically like destroy them like he's the kid that's gonna he's the kid that comes out of it you know much worse for the wear than anybody else Mm -hmm. like because carol ann i mean they even say at one point you know she's being tricked because the whatever the entity or the force or whatever is trying to act like another child and trying to trick her into thinking that it's on her side or you know she's like their friend or whatever you want to call it but it's you know again it's robbie that they're just like destroying in an effort to draw attention away from what they're doing the the undercurrent of right the insidious part of i mean aside from like stealing like the child in general but yeah yeah, i don't know i mean um yeah yeah the, the the other sequence that i really so i think i i think by the time Tangina shows up and Rubenstein enters the movie. I think that it's getting to a point where it's like it's getting a little honestly, it's getting it's like, where do you go from here? Like, you know, it, this is getting maybe a little old at this point. Um, and when she enters, I think she this is her most famous role. It's like she breathes a whole new life into this movie when she shows up. Um, because then it does allow Steven to 
start being a little skeptical and like you know and 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 diane's a little skeptical as well which is interesting but it's like her delivery um the character itself and the eccentricity behind it um you know the confidence behind that character like you know all of that like you know she just becomes a star i think in this movie and um and um when they are planning on i mean i love the sequence where it's like steven tries to test her um you know by by like you know like using his mind or whatever and like she like you know um you know it's later revealed that she she did hear everything that he was like thinking but she didn't like the idea of being tricked and um i love the sequence where it's like she calls diane over to her and like tells her like you know oh you gotta like you know bend down honey like you're gonna give me whiplash looking up at you and like you know that whole sequence is great it has the great line that you were talking about just a moment ago where she's like something along the lines of like you know to to her it's just another child but like to us it is the beast like and the way she delivers that flatly yeah and casually it makes it even worse to me that it's like, you know, um, even more horrifying in some ways. Amazing performance. So here's why I think it's so good, too. And like, I agree with everything you know that you said, but I, I think the thing that makes it so impressive is it's the moment that provides context to what's happening in the house and in general after it takes it out of the realm of you know the uncertain and the whatever you want to call it like this mysterious thing that they can't really define and they don't Mm -hmm. really know what's happening and then she comes in and in five minutes of screen time Mm -hmm. gives you context and defines the threat so that you can then move into the second half of that movie where everything is now you know much more like this i don't want to say the stakes are raised or whatever because it's a silly way to say it but i mean generally like that's it like now you know what's at stake like it's not mm-hmm. just carol ann it's missing it's that carol ann is in like her soul is in mortal danger mm-hmm. and this is what we need to do to save it but rubenstein's performance is so well modulated that you believe that they can succeed like it's just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean it's crazy when you like to think the the subtlety and the control of like both the direction and the script and you know the performance to have all those things happen and in just a small it's again like we've talked about this on the podcast a number of times but it's what separates like you know movies from great movies yeah and the ability to do that in the span of like a few lines of dialogue it's it's brilliant you know you're it's very difficult to find movies that are that good and it's one of it's one of spielberg's greatest talents and i think that it's why you know stuff like indiana jones like those movies work so well even though when you think about them from an objective viewpoint they're ridiculous like they don't really make any sense but you can invest in them and believe in them because he's so good at telling you things naturally through the progression of the narrative where it's not like exposition it's just conversation right and it feels mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. and it provides that context that you can you know you you shift your focus and you now know what these people know and it makes it 
you know it, it's a good turning point in that movie where it really starts to focus on the true horror after that yeah um yeah. and then that's and when they when they kind of like pull the rug out from under you when you think that like they've gotten away and they're safe and then all of a sudden they turn it around where everything's you know like gone to shit again in the span of whatever like another five minutes like mm-hmm. it's i don't know it makes it really good and it makes it really believable and um yeah yeah i think one of the scenes where you talk about like all those elements coming together i think another it's like my last like really favorite scene in this and again it's a lot of it's just the acting it's just the characters but um it's when they're standing in the hallway and it's a low angle shot on Tangina, like um, at first, but you can see Diane and Steven in the hallway in the background and Steven's kind of like has his back against the wall, almost like still not fully committed to Tangina, um, even though she's clearly shown him up by this point. And she asked Diane to start like talking to her and you know he she needs somebody to get angry at carol ann and she's like that sequence of like who's the who's the one that you know disciplines or whatever you know and and but you get diane coming forward and her face like kind of like in like almost like a mix between medium and close-up as she steps in the frame the camera just stays the camera doesn't cut and you get these actors and it gives them space above tangina you know who's so short you know as an actress like you know to come forward and 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 you get to see them act and it's like you know she kind of like recedes and steven comes forward and you know it starts raising his voice and you can see the discomfort in raising his voice at her but he knows that and you know and it's just this like really well filmed stationary shot kind of that just allows these people to do work in the background and the foreground and it's just a really well-crafted well-directed shot with people i think most of these actors at the top of their game almost like in that scene and it's just it again it just really like you know it's just people sitting there talking you know to nothing right and it's like but it's still so emotional it's still so effective i think that one sequence yeah and within that sequence there's again it, it allows nelson to be like such a human character because she says tell her you'll give her a spanking and his first reaction is why well, i never hit my kids right you yeah. know and that's like i don't know i just yeah. I, I feel like there's so many other movies that you watch where they don't put that one line in mm-hmm. to show that even in this terrible circumstances first reaction is still just to be a good dad you know to yeah. be yeah like a protector and mm-hmm agreed yeah so i don't know i there's there's so many small things and again it's just it's the difference between a movie and a great movie or a film or whatever and this is definitely a a film and definitely something that i think stands the test of time and again i i kind of wish that like what can you do like you can't go back and change special effects 40 years later but i just kind of wish there would have been a little more restraint um and how did they know you know what it was going to look like that it wasn't going to be cutting edge even like five years later Um, yeah sure you're right and Um, i think that i i think that spielberg has always kind of suffered from that and still continues to in the sense that he just always goes a little too far i think in terms of special effects it's always a little too much where he's in love with the idea 
of putting those visual and Lucas is the same way, you know, they're both, they both, I think, lean a little too much on the visual aspect of like showing the thing as opposed yeah, to yeah you know, and they do and then they feed off each other too like you know all the time they 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 make they mark they make each other mark out like you know and um i think it makes it worse um the last thing i just want to mention about this is like even though it's a horror movie i do think the movie like has a couple good things and keeps a sense of humor about itself at times even despite the trauma and the horror that this family's suffering um i love the sequence where the investigators first get there and the guy that is the camera operator is bragging about how he captured a toy that moved like you know the and he says like the incident took over eight hours and like uh steven's like eight hours for what he's like for the for the for the car to like move across the floor or whatever and steven just gives him this look like oh okay and just like opens the door in front of him like all the investigators and that shit's flying around um it's like those little like something a little like that i think like just that for a second breaks a little bit of the tension just for yeah, a moment agreed um i i think that like uh even in the midst which I, another is another great scene um with all that light coming out the door when uh diane's getting ready to go in after um Carol Ann you have that like that's a big ma- mainstream moment like with the light behind them and the kiss and they're very Hollywood moment in a lot of ways um but uh I love the little exchange where Tangina's like you know like give me the rope like you know like uh, I'm gonna go in or whatever and it's like it's like you know um you know and she's like no you can't do this like you've never done this before and she says neither of you and she's then tangent is like you're right you go <laughs> um it's like that yeah. um that moving the television outside is a great is one maybe one of like the greatest little like cheap laughs at the right. end of a movie like i i still think like despite all of that it, like you know and i don't know that feels like a spielberg sense of humor in the script maybe um the kind of like little things he does um even during really tense action sequences and stuff um, at times in the Indiana Jones movies and stuff like that, that just feel like, you know, these little like breaks in tension right. that I think he's it, good at, you know, it, it's not only the moving the TV outside, it's the look that Craig T. Nelson gives the TV mm-hmm. after he moves outside. Like, don't you fucking, don't you right. fucking move. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I did see uh, as uh, doing research though uh, the the two room numbers they show very closely um, at the hotel at the end are two thirty seven and two seventeen, uh, which are the two famous numbers from The Shining, which apparently was a tribute because um, everything that we talk about seems to come back to Kubrick and uh, Lynch at some point. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but uh, so yeah, so I do have a couple questions for you, and I don't mm. know if you know the answer to this. Um, so how do you take the idea that Tangina says that the house is clean? Who's a very trustworthy character so far um, in terms of like ha- her knowing stuff. And then it's not, is it, is it a trick? Do you, do you feel it tells you enough to know whether it's a trick by the poltergeist or. So I actually wondered if that wasn't an homage to Hell house mm. um, in the sense that the professor there is like the house is clean. Mm-hmm. And then um, what's his name? Um, uh, Roddy McDowell opens himself up as like there's nothing here it's clean in the sense that 
evil is willing to pull itself back in order to lull you into a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like that's that's what that is. Okay. Um, and then they also say that Carol Ann obviously doesn't remember what happened to her um, at one point. But when the shit starts up again, when when that evil returns uh, and the closet door opens again and all that kind of stuff, she says, like, no more. Um, do you take that to – I mean, obviously, she does remember. Yeah. Is, is it just that she doesn't remember that bilocation spot, or do you think, or does, does she not remember any of it? Maybe that she's repressed it, and then when yeah. she sees it again, it like brings the memory yeah. back. That's how I took it. Um, but it seems like it's controversial with a lot of people, like of like not really giving you a firm, clear answer on it. Um, I mean, that's that's fine. Isn't that the the beauty of a great movie is that it leaves certain things up to interpretation. Like you ain't got everything spelled out. Yeah, for you. sure. I was just wondering what your opinion on it was. Yeah, I mean, um, I've I've always thought that. I've always thought that Carol Ann, because she's being used and it's important for her to have some kind of almost like a complicity in it, kind of like it needs to trick her as a small child into sort of being willing to be used in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Um, That whatever she's experiencing inside that is half being hidden from her kind of. so the horror that you see is not necessarily what she's seeing because it needs her to be more of a willing participant in order to make it easier to take her away, right? Yeah, and Tangina says that kind of at one point, right? Is that like there's like multiple souls like kind of like engulfing her or kind of like, you know, like hugging right. her or something like to where she feels safe, you know? Yeah. It is interesting too, the idea that it's like you you get the idea of things that are happening to her, but you never get to see anything. Like right. that's um, the most. Then again, that's one of the reasons why I have a problem with some of the special effects mm-hmm. because it's like, right? Isn't it scary? So I think that it's more effective. You brought up the lights. I think that's a really good point. When it's these bright, flashing, fluttering lights that are sort of abstract and nebulous where you don't really know it as opposed to the giant cotton candy tube to hell or yeah. whatever. You know, I mean yeah. that's it doesn't look scary it just looks silly kind of mm-hmm. you know and um, I think that's part of the problem is that when it when it leaves it up to your imagination I think it's much more effective than when they're just like hey this is what it is and I don't know. Yeah so uh, I guess the last thing to bring up here is um maybe is uh, beyond they're here uh probably one of the more famous things about uh the movie um and and or these this group of movies is is the idea of the poltergeist curse right um is the unfortunate deaths of um heather o'rourke and uh dominic dunn and stuff like that um how do you feel about like that being part of this legacy do you think it adds to the films in some way or do you think but it detracts from it. Eh, I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of the fucking dark side of Hollywood shit that people will talk about and obsess about. And, you know, it's, it's, 
it's like they happen back to back, you know, and it's not right. like they were all murdered or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. the Dominique Dunn thing is tragic, mm-hmm. you know, but it's domestic abuse, right? Like it's domestic abuse in a time when people didn't take it seriously enough, I think. Right. Um, and then the care, you know, Heather O'Rourke had a fucking crazy sequence of medical mishaps that you know just led to her but they it wasn't like it happened on set or right, right. after they filmed the movie it, I mean, was it, was after, like, it was right after the third one right when they were doing press for it i think the third one was filmed and i think yeah they were doing press and like post-production work yeah when her work died and dunn died a couple years after yeah and then julian beck died like um in in uh, who played uh, Kane in the uh, second one. Um, he died within like a month or something like that of the second one. He's kind of like considered part of that whole curse or whatever. But I mean, Julian Beck was like, what, like 80 something? Like, oh, yeah. Maybe he was or old, I don't know. Old like, ass man. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't, I don't believe in any of that shit. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I, I think it's unfortunate because it's all sad. Like, you know, obviously that these people passed away like not long after like, you know, the filming of these. Um, but I think like, you know, like when I see like that kind of stuff, like do- getting put in documentaries or, you know, television shows on Shutter and stuff like that. Like, um, I don't know, to me, it like almost like it's taking attention away from what I think is important, which is right. the performances of these characters, you know, of these actors, like playing these characters and like, you know, the strength of the movies and stuff like that. And it's clickbait, right? Just yeah. Clickbait yeah. that's existed now for sure. 30 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, so overall thumbs up though, right? Like oh, still yeah, yeah, 40 yeah. years later. Yeah. It still holds up. Yeah. Um, Again, I think I, I really feel like this is the, Ah, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This is the blueprint for a PG-13 horror movie. Yeah. Um, it gives you enough without showing too much. Um, it's interesting and it can appeal to multiple, you know, age groups. Um, and it's just, you know, really well done. And again, like, say what you want about who directed what or whatever, but yeah. Hooper definitely one of the better horror directors for his small output of work um and i think might have you know who knows maybe he did struggle with drugs i don't really know a lot about him maybe i that's just i don't know i i didn't research that i just know that that's a claim that rubenstein um said that like to her it was apparent like um she didn't really have a it seemed like a lot of good things or respect for hooper i mean how do you how do you make one of the greatest horror films ever and everything you make is kind of like diminishing returns right so i don't know i don't know i've always thought that maybe it was his legacy was too much for him in terms of him as a filmmaker but eating alive is good funhouse is good poltergeist is a great movie you know there's he made some good movies just i mean there's a lot of good stuff in salem's lot to me as well oh yeah yeah i forgot about that salem's lot Mm -hmm. salem's lot has one of the scariest um vampire scenes i think ever filmed the one that the lost boys stole where the boys yeah yeah the, outside the window yeah, yeah boy floating outside the window that shit mm-hmm. is um terrifying when you see it so yeah sure especially as a kid yeah no that's a really that's a really good scene um yeah no absolutely um 
the the way that the the, the fog um smoke like you know kind of like it almost like moves backwards or something I, it's 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 a, it's a really well done scene yeah um uh yeah he it's, also, it's, he also suffered from a time when you either unless you were west craven you either adapted to do something else or you just kind of got you know i don't want to say left behind but um definitely were not considered to be like an important director if you couldn't and even craven like made a bunch of shit you know i mean he wasn't getting like offers to make great movies or anything so mm -hmm. and there must be you know if you consider yourself a good filmmaker there must be some kind of i don't want to assume too much but it has to weigh on you somehow that you know all you're offered is these shitty like b-level horror movies and you can't get anything else made so yeah no it has to i mean i agree um and it's like there's times where it's like i just think um you know you have that kind of success that early and it's like you know in terms of like being like a pioneer like an icon of like a certain genre or something like that i mean it's like you're not only does it weigh on you but it's like um you got to doubt yourself i think in some ways like possibly like how, how do i people expect like other people's expectations your expectations for yourself i mean yeah it's got to be a hard thing to do but um look i think he direct i mean look he was behind the camera throughout all of this <laughs> you know i mean like you know i i still count him as the director i i count i see more influence maybe with spielberg as a cinematographer almost like as a um as a like a set designer or something like that like you know like you know uh somebody who's putting people in place where they need to be and that kind of stuff um maybe sometimes picking but i, I see him more of a cinematographer role in this um in terms of framing at times um and maybe occasionally making decisions about certain scenes but i think cooper directed most of most of this movie i i, I think spielberg is 100 percent responsible for the score and the sound design and production on this movie i mean that's yeah. it's it's a spielberg score mm -hmm. yeah no you're absolutely right fucking uh, zithers and bells and shit i really like the score of this movie so yeah 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 it's fine <laughs> all right um any final thoughts you want to share before we wrap up here when you brought this up that we should do it i was uh nonplussed i would say like i was like ah, right, that'll uh -huh. be fine but um yeah. Really enjoyed watching it again. Uh, surprised at how much I enjoyed it, even though it's been like a long time since I've seen it. So yeah, I watch it every few years. It's it's definitely one of those. It is definitely a movie I have nostalgia for, even though uh, I know the mo is I don't have a lot of nostalgia, but I, I do for this movie. I probably watch it every few years or so. Um, and, but it, you're right. It's like one of those things where when I think about it, when I'm not watching it, like in the in the in the interim, I'm like yeah like poltergeist is a good movie and it's like um and then when i watch it again it's like i see things it's like that i think it's a really great horror movie um you know i think it's a really great movie that is horror maybe i should say um i'm not particularly um most things don't scare me anymore but it's like you know there's a lot of things i really appreciate like when i watch it like every single time and i think i find new stuff like little things every single time that i really like about the performances or about a certain like way something's filmed so i yeah there's there's a lot of great stuff in this movie um and yeah i was glad to be able to talk about it so.
yeah i it made me appreciate it a little more to talk about it so cool. good all right well we will be back um next week with the top five found footage horror movies to continue our October. Um, then we'll be finishing up the month um, and finishing up the whole entire 1970s with the top five horror movies of 1979. So thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, have a good week. Deuces.